Tra-la-la! Welcome to Q&A Quest episode uh, 118. Thank you, because I almost said 117. Uh, I'm your host, Mike. The F- grand duo for, for some. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm your host, Mike Afsinky Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, Film Master David McBurney uh, reverted to my original name after previous name changes to make me sound more hardcore in the U.S. Nice. Um... <laughs> Gaijin is MIA. Punch run fast really punch run fast really seemed to test better. Yeah. But you know. The uh, purists didn't care for it. Uh, as discussed last week, Gaijin probably needs no excuse to not be here, so yeah. Yeah, there's okay. there's a lot going on. Yeah, so anyway, we will endeavor to answer your questions and Glorious detail, by which I mean go off on random tangents and maybe answer your question if you're lucky. One one or more of the tangents we go on may have some superficial answer to the question. Yes. What just booped you? Uh, That was my phone notifying me that RP Gamer is now live on Twitch. Oh man, are they? Yeah. I can't believe it. Must be doing something cool. I don't know. It sounds it's probably those two nerds just doing another podcast. Probably. Well, streaming Destiny or something. Oh, gross. Is that what you're putting on in the background? I didn't yeah, actually look. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to finish up my one last Iron Banner bounty. I don't... I won't ask what that means because I don't actually want the answer. It's, um, like, it's like a monthly PvP thing. Okay. <laughs> well, now I have to live with that. Um... So, let's get down to business, since Budai was as faithful as the tide and gave us plenty of questions, especially uh, given yeah. how late that this, went, that, yes. that this episode went up. I put it up on Saturday. We're recording this on Monday. <laughs> I don't know how you managed it, but I thank you, because this could have been real thin without it. Yeah. Uh, so, let's. I guess we'll start from the top. Uh, oh, Chinese just... game development does... I was just going to say, and these aren't just like questions that he like randomly just threw out there. These are all related to stuff that was talked about on the last episode. So he listened I don't to know the how episode. <laughs> I don't know how he managed. I don't remember what we were talking about for half of that. Chinese game development does exist now, which uh, with most of it being asset work or mobile gaming. Do you think there is a big future where an emerging country like China or India diversifies more into core gaming? Both countries have large populations and are in flux to becoming more service-based economies soon. Uh, Like, I think that there's room for that segment to grow, but one of the things that is harder to quantify is that when core gaming came together in, like, the U.S., Japan, and Europe, it came together with no competition from all the kinds of, like, gaming we have Mm -hmm. now which allowed it to sort of gain a foothold in society, a foothold in society. And I'm not sure 
if that demand will like it's it's still the main like not necessarily the main but it's still like at the very least co-equal with every other like every other kind of gaming in like the US and such but in uh, but in a country that is going to have access to casual games and mobile games and online games and like all of that in addition to an attempt to break in the core market like the sheer number of people to sell to in China and you know eventually India is that economy picks up for leisure activity uh the sheer number of people to sell means that they'll be probably pretty lucrative markets i'm not sure what percentage of the market will end up being core con like what we would consider core gaming mm. so like the amount of people playing will be absurd because it's going to be you know when you're marketing to a country with more than a billion people you you can manage to survive <laughs> on a niche much more uh, much more comfortably than if you're marketing in a country with a hundred million, you know, and even a hundred million, you know, quite a lot of people for any one country. Or you can but, just bring in uh, a lot more Fortnite players. <laughs> I mean, that's also an option. Like that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. It's like how much are people like? But then again, you also have to remember how much like cultural export there is around some of these things that may cause them to gain a foothold because they have a foothold elsewhere. Yeah. But I mean, as of now, like the, the increase in core gaming in China has really helped a lot of like more niche triple a franchises or not even really triple a, but you know, more niche franchises from triple a publishers kind of stay afloat because of, inroads into East Asia. Like, Yakuza is a big example of that. Super Robot Wars, uh, at this point, is basically surviving on the fact that Southeast Asia and East Asia are capable of sustaining it in a way that its home territory no longer can. Hmm. So, uh, I think that there will be certainly enough business there to make it worthwhile for people. <laughs> What's it's it's one of those increasingly markets you can't ignore. Yeah. We'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, the next part of this question. Uh, your talk about how Sleeping Dogs 2 could have been great got me thinking about how it's a good thing Yakuza was not given up on. Some series need time to develop. Any thoughts on these cases or games that maybe could have been good ones with the next step? Uh... Like, like, to be fair, Yakuza was only ever at risk of being given up on in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. In Japan, Ryuga Gotoku was a fairly instant success to some degree or another. Uh, I mean, it's, if I dug around my brain for a while, I'm sure I could figure out more of these cases. One that kind of comes to mind, which I don't, think, don't know if it necessarily completely applies, because the game new game and it just came out but I haven't gotten around to playing it yet but Darksiders was always an interesting case to me because it seemed like they were starting starting to get onto something with 2 and then obviously THQ went and uh, it took a took a long road for us to even get a 3 and I don't really want to even if 3 is not as good as 1 or 2 I you know it's 
It's hard to judge that one because it's kind of a miracle that it even came out. So um, the other thing about three is that it's another like each new Darksider seems to be them being like, well, that last one wasn't quite the fit we wanted, so we're doing and we're rethinking a bunch of the mechanics and making a very a somewhat different game. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, which, hey, we've talked about this a lot, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, I think, was on <laughs> to a lot of interesting concepts, but uh, no one... can't believe you would throw Dead Rising under the bus like this. Well, <laughs> Dead Rising's great, but, you know, those are concepts I'd yeah, like yeah. to see in RPGs that kind of went... Dead Rising's you know what I mean. Uh, I'm not. I don't. Yeah, want, yeah. I don't want to throw any shade at Dead Rising because it's a great use of that whole concept. But I think it it could be used for a lot more than just that. So. Or that again, because I think that franchise yeah. might be dead. Yeah, but. <laughs> true. R.I.P. Dead Five thing. Uh, let's see. But yeah, I'm trying to think of anything that sticks out to me as like, oh, this could have gone somewhere, and then it didn't. Uh, like, I mean, I definitely ranted about that with Sleeping Dogs. Um, I mean, I can think of some like one-off entries and franchises that seemed like they were taking it somewhere, but then didn't. But that's a little. That's sometimes that's a little different. Just like they're yeah, I'd still to... be interested here. Yeah, I mean, one of them obviously was Disgaea, which has, <laughs> while uh... remaining, while remaining very similar throughout, I think it has tried some different things and gone in some different directions subtly, and um, I'd say four, four, and uh, what the hell what was the name of it? Um, uh, sequel to one, I forget the name of it. Dimension two. D two. That's right. Yes. Uh, both presented kind of differing ways the series could go. One is four was obviously the all out. We're going to do all sorts of crazy boards that you have to rack your brain to figure out. And two kind of your D two kind of stripped away a lot of the nonsense and made a slightly more simplified uh, version of things. It still kept a lot of the interesting boards, but um, really refined a lot of the mechanics. And then 5 was like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Screw all that. I can't believe how how long your fury lasts. Um, it's... Uh, I, yeah. I, I was going to bring up that uh, it might be worth uh, taking a brief tangent into the uh, precarious current fate of Nipponichi. Uh, you heard about this, correct? Uh, no. I heard vague things about it, but not too much. Hold on. So, Hold on. Gaijin's on. Let me pull him in. Uh-huh. Hello. 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 Here comes a new challenger. Yes. Yes. Enter coin. And please, please do not fix the static on your end because that's the only thing that lets me know that I'm still connected. 
Is that a compliment? Oh, it must be from me. No, it's usually from Dave. Uh, uh, well, we we got started already. Current question was um, trying to figure out like. Uh, my brain is failing me. Dave, Games that could have gone thank somewhere you. if they had had. Uh, I was also going to take a brief tangent to discuss the fact that uh, Nippon Ichi seems to be in very dire straits at this point. Yes. Really? Yeah, their most recent financial reporting seems to be that they may run out of money to pay employees very soon. Uh-oh. And that they are currently seeking the capacity to sell a bunch of stock in order to find to raise money to actually keep the lights on, which seems, which seems to trace back to their heinously bungled mobile game launch a couple months ago. Yikes! Uh. Which apparently uh, they were not at all prepared for, and then they said we're we're delaying the launch, and then apparently by delaying the launch they mean uh, at least like six months. Jeez. <laughs> and with the margins they operate on and the fact that they haven't released a new video game outside of like a remaster of Disgaea 1 in like three years bad times, bad times uh, so I mean hopefully they don't die uh, concerning very very yeah. concerning yeah yeah, I just wanted to take a brief side note into that. So how does that, is that going to affect uh, the U.S. branch at all? Yeah, I don't know how Nipponichi, Japan, and America's financials intertwine. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see if they manage a reverse 7-Eleven. <laughs> you, you know the thing with 7-Eleven, right? Yeah, I think so. I think I know what you're referencing at the very least. Yeah, the the American company went broke and the Japanese company bought it out. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, so Seven Eleven went from being an American company to a Japanese company. That's weird. By yeah. control, and I'm hoping the same thing ends up happening with Toys R Us. It would be nice if someone would own Toys R Us. Yeah. Like, last I heard, I think it was the Canadian branch trying to buy it out. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's funny, uh, I was watching a baseball game today, the Red Sox were playing the Toronto Blue Jays, and behind home plate was an, a giant ad for Toys R Us of Canada. My daughter loves Toys R Us Japan over in the uh, mall here. Man, let me tell you how awful shopping for toys has been since Toys R Us went under. Freaking sucks. People Can't on, think of like a specialty toy store anymore. Yeah, P- and people on the internet, like you collectors, over overpricing toys on the internet. Uh, if if you don't like swears, uh, uh, mute the pot- podcast for a second. Go fuck yourselves. That's all. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. Well, now that I think, like, I'm just going to briefly mention, I can't think of a specialty toy store that exists anymore, just like department stores with toy sections. Yeah, no, that's about it. And those are okay, but, I mean, they're only going to have, like, what's there at the moment. Like, uh, my son's back big into Power Rangers again. And, you know, sure, I can find the shows from the latest, the toys from the latest show. That's about it. 
And well, if you, if you ever wants anything from one of the Japanese series, I can probably find something in a used <laughs> shop somewhere. <laughs> that sure. was uh, that was the old tactic that they had when the shows were new. So I mean, that might actually work. Sure. <laughs> I love how much that that show was designed with. Well, there's a bunch of overstock uh, toys from the Japanese show that aren't going to sell anymore because we went on to a new Sentai, so you can sell them in America. <laughs> and I'm still amazed that it has worked so well for so long. It's, it's yeah. crazy. It's become its own very strange in- institution. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the actual term is for when you take a movie from somewhere else and you just completely re-edit it and overdub it into something new? I don't know if there's a technical term for that, just a lot of fan I, terms. I mean, I've seen it, I've seen a term used for it, but I can't really quite remember what it is right now. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, like Power Rangers and the old uh, Robotech series are two incredibly thorough examples. So... Yeah. Well, long live Sentai. Uh, it yeah. does put them in very hilarious positions whenever they decide that they... Whenever Japan's doing, like, an anniversary celebration Sentai that'll have some shows that have been localized in it and some shows that are too old to have been localized. So you'll get, like, them just sort of having to whole cloth create an explanation as to what the hell this Power Ranger is. <laughs> I mean, they also just... They don't always use a series in the... They've Power only Rangers skipped, anyway. like, one. It's like Tokyuger, I think. Didn't they skip the one with trains? Uh, Maybe. They, there's been, like, there's like five ones with trains, but I think Tokyuger got skipped, and I think that one's a train. Yeah. What about what about the pirate one? Uh, Kaizoku, that did get brought over as part of, like, Megaforce, I think. Uh, super Megaforce, sir. Super yeah, like Megaforce. Was, I know this how, because how I, about, my daughter uh, was watching the, it today. Or is it the current one that is actually two sets of rangers, the police officers, and the burglars? That sounds like what's probably airing in Japan right now. Yeah, Petroja and Lupanger. Specifically uh, after Lupan, the yeah, the, nice. the uh, famous burglar. The one in U.S. right now is Beast Morphers. It, I was like, uh, is this like Transformers? Is this because it's now owned by Hasbro? What's going on here? No, it's I weird. think it's entirely just like eh, they, they're 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 animals this time, so beast morphers. I would say, didn't they do that already? But you know, there's like they've done all of them, dude. There's, like there's dino, two dinosaur ones, two ninja ones. There's way more than two of all of those, yes, by the way. That's, yeah, that's yeah, true. Because like, I mean, like, when you're when you're rebooting every single year, you got to recycle stuff. Especially because your audience is not always the same. So after a certain number of years, it's it's like the old comic book thing where in the Silver yeah. Age they just recycle something after a few years because it's like, well, the audience not, shifted. Not, not even a few years. I remember reading that they estimated that their audience turnover was a year and a half tops. Yeah. So, that's, so. so you would often see the same um, ridiculous Batman plotline in sequential years. Yeah, because it's like, well... No, there is not a large enough audience that's going to complain about this. (laughs) Yeah. At least not until they grow up and manage to collate enough copies together to realize exactly how ridiculously repetitive it became. Yeah. 
A lot of very strange plot lines to somehow keep repeating, though. Their, their choices of what Batman stories to just keep redoing is very indicative of the time. Uh, well, you got to remember that it wasn't the writers making this these yeah. decisions. It was the editors. And the editors just only cared about making more money. It was like, okay, we need a new plot line. What? Okay, let's just use this one. Go. Looking at it, uh, the current uh, Beast Morphers is based off of Go Busters. Tokume Sentai Go Busters, so I'm not sure how many that puts it behind. There was a year where they took off, where they had to, like, catch up by starting to combine series for a while. I'm not sure if that's still the case. <laughs> but that's why, like, uh, Shin Kanger like, was turned into Power Ranger Samurai, but then the next one ended up being both uh, Go Sager and Go Kiger. I don't know why I remember these names. I don't know how you remember these names either, because I only recognize a few of them in passing because uh, some of my former students were little maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm actually more likely to remember Common Rider series at this point. That's yeah. fair. Now here's a question. Here's a question I have. So obviously with the Power Rangers, people there's like this super nostalgia for the original series. Is there? Huh. Does that exist in Japan at all? Do they like oh yeah, but it's very generational on which series you think deserves the most nostalgia. Okay. Because I mean, like, like I said, the first Power Ranger series in America was based off like the fifth, sixth, or seventh one in Japan. I don't remember which. Gotcha. So I think it might be a higher number than that. I think it might be more like tenth. So I'm not quite sure exactly when the Super Sentai series actually started because I know Kamen Rider was probably through like ten iterations by then, and it started off much earlier. Uh, depending on how you're counting, it started in, like, 1975. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, these things have been on forever. The first one localized into a Power Rangers series successfully. They pitched the idea of localizing them before, but the first one they actually did it was Kyoto Sentai Zoo Ranger. Probably because dinosaurs are cool. Yeah. Power Rangers has, like, a very successful... Like, shows that, like... Ones about dinosaurs tend to succeed more than ones that aren't about dinosaurs. <laughs> let's dinosaurs see. It, cool. the, it was the 16th wow. Sentai Dear series. Lord! <laughs> They'd been yeah. on forever, forever in awe of the fact that uh, the strange, uh, dif the differing but somehow intertwined ideas of what a superhero is in Japan and America influenced each other in such a strange way where, like, Spider-Man is an early tokusatsu, but it's also, like, one of the first ones where the character just has, like, a giant robot. Mm -hmm. and, it's like, and that became, like, a standard thing, because, like, the first few Sentai, Super Sentai series don't have giant robots. And, of course, you have to wonder how much was influenced by Toho. Yeah. Just a really weird, like... Which is to answer almost all of it, because Ultraman was heavily influenced by Toho, and everything else took it from there. Yeah. Ultraman. Still going. Oh, my serious. That people have tried to bring to America and failed many times. I watched it. <laughs> Which one? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure which ones I've watched either. I'm going to cap off this discussion with my personal favorite, uh, like, tokusatsu adjacent discussion, which was uh, largely uh, <laughs> largely uninteresting, but uh, 
you know, very much uh, brought over in the wake of Power Rangers because, oh man, there's a lot of these kinds of shows we can bring over. Uh, Are you Beetleborgs? No, I was going to bring up Gridman. Which, Never heard of that one. I, I actually liked Beetleborgs for the two seasons that lasted, though. Yeah, that was one of those ones where they, like, oh, this doesn't have enough successor series and we're out. But Yeah, uh, they ran... Yeah, it was they ran out of the original source series and they didn't have enough of a following to actually make stuff up. Yeah. But I was going to bring up Gridman because I think it's hilarious. It was brought over to the West as Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. What? Okay, that, that that sounds vaguely familiar and I do not know why. It's a strange show. It's not particularly good, but what's hilarious to me is that there was just last year an anime based off of Gridman. That was labeled SSSS Gridman. And the only reasoning anyone can determine as to why that is, is to reference Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. <laughs> which spelled all of those words with S's because alliteration, I guess. Except alliteration is just for sounds, so it's just being stupid. Yeah, okay. I don't know why they did it. I don't know why they did it, but it was hilarious to me that it was called SSSS Gridman in reference to the English-localized version of a Sentai that no one had thought about in 20 years. Obviously, this is someone Japan. did. <laughs> Everyone always, there's always going to be somebody who's thought about it. Excuse me, excuse me. 25 years at that time. Oh, man. What a... Okay. Uh, and, and now I'm looking up my Steam account and like, yes, I do have Chroma Squad. Somebody gave it to me for Christmas one year. I should uh, play this. I need to play yeah, that. let's tie us back by mentioning Chroma Squad, which is a good game. We can also tie it back to Nippon Ichi by the talking about the hilarious Power Rangers parody in those games. The disguise. Which, which one? one? They had plenty. Uh, what the heck are the Rangers? Well, Disgaea 1 actually had a Super Sentai squad at, attacking Laharl to try and gain the throne. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, that was so. good. Yeah, that squad has shown up in a lot of the games. That. And then, the, then there was Zetai Hero Project. Yep. I'm losing Ranger versus Dark Death Evil Man. That's with the absolute title. best villain name ever. <laughs> Death Dark Evil Man, yes. I for, I don't know why I also remember that game's subtitle in English. That was that was quite a name for anything to have. Yep. Yes, and that's why you remember it. Yeah, I suppose. Okay, but yeah, uh, yeah let's okay. move on, so, I guess. So, which of these Budai questions have we not answered? We've only answered the first one. Yeah, the Chinese uh, okay. one. Yeah, um, oh, okay, well, for China, um, first Chinese studio-developed PlayStation 2 game, do you remember? I don't know what the first Chinese-developed one is. Uh, Shacha Eudan, um, the Eagle Shooting Heroes. Mmm... Which I reviewed for the site years ago. It wasn't half bad. Interesting. Uh, if you like um, wuxia kung fu RPGs, yes. Well, I do, so. Yeah. <laughs> With a completely nonsensical ending because they just simply did not have enough space on the disc to even attempt to do half of what the actual story was. Whoops. Mm. Well, published. I mean... The, the series was huge, the original novel series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently published in Japan by Sony Computer Entertainment Incorporated. 
Oh, not just huh. published. It was by Sony's Chinese branch studio. Oh, mm. nice. Yeah, it was it, it was technically in-house in a different country. Yeah, super early PS2 game as far as those go, apparently. Yeah. Huh. So, um, I guess it's more of an issue of what will the Japanese government allow made. Yeah, so. the Chinese Chinese government has a lot of... They've been relaxing what can happen with video games for quite a long time, so, I mean, continuing the trend. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Eagle Shooting Heroes was out of Hong Kong. So. Yeah, which allows you to get around a lot of things. Yeah. So, but, I mean, you have to figure as soon as they take the blocks off of that industry in China, there's going to be an explosion of interesting things. Yeah, probably a lot of things we can't even imagine right now. Oh, I mean, I've got I've got a couple of indie games from Steam right now. Like, um, what's this one called? Eternal Senia. Hmm. Um, it's just it's a fun little indie game, and occasionally I run into a spot where nobody translated the text correctly, and it just yaps at me in Jap in Chinese. It's like I wish I could read this sign that says obviously says I can't enter this area right now, but you know, yeah. Not sure if that's better or worse than that uh, one town late in Suicoden Two that's just still Unicode characters. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, moving into the next one. Is the future of gaming completely streaming based? Or you'll not, well, yes, I we're really not talking hope not. Let's let's uh, let's finish this before we <laughs> point out that we none of us wants this to be the case. Okay, okay, but, continue. Uh, where you will not own hardware but just play a game from your TV or PC. If so, someone like Nintendo could possibly do well in this market based on their strong catalog, but where does that leave Sony and Microsoft? Does this avenue show potential for someone else to come and take over gaming similar to a Steam or Amazon store page? Or do they see this as giving some avenue to independence? Google certainly hopes that that's what it means. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, didn't Microsoft attempt to do something like this with the um, whichever Xbox it was that was supposed to be heavily internet-connected and streaming everything? Uh, streaming was never what they were having on the table. It was more like heavily DRM'd. And cloud-based, yeah. Yeah, they're currently, they're currently doing a cloud computing initiative that apparently both Sony and Nintendo are interested in signing on, but that seems to be more about offloading uh, processing and video streaming to make it more easy to do that on consoles. But Yeah, but um, you're, um, I was going to say, with this, like a streaming focus paradigm, you're still going to hit the same issue that Microsoft did, and that's not, that's um, that a large part of your customer base in America even will not have the internet capacity to support that mm. yeah i'm just gonna pull back up man. i'm just gonna pull back up google's figure that uh for comfortable streaming you're going to need 30 megabits down per <laughs> like per second uh, uh. it's it's some ludicrous number where it's like not only is most of like it's one of those numbers that like someone who spends their entire life somewhere in silicon valley doesn't think sounds like a ludicrous number and but, that is why it will be a long, long time before this future comes to pass. Yeah, yeah. Like they keep it, this keeps happening. Like the original, the the recently released Crackdown Three was heavily scaled back from original projections because its original concept involved like building deformation, 
It was supposed to have like building destruction that was going to be calculated in real time via cloud-based computing, and that turned out to be completely unworkable. And that wasn't even computing the entire game. It was just doing calculations of how buildings should deform. So I feel like what companies starting this right now are doing it prematurely unless they're starting R&D to future-proof themselves. Yeah, future-proofing I can see, but a- attempting to actually make this a reality, I, w- I mean, there's benefit to being the visionary who actually steps up and makes it work, but you're more likely to be the person who tries it first and just crashes. Yeah, the other problem that an insurgent company like Google is going to have is that a lot of times those companies don't have a consistent enough set of leadership to actually stay long enough to make this sort of thing profitable. Like, mm-hmm. even if we assume that this, uh, that, this technolo- that this technology is already here to do this sort of thing, you run into the issue of something like, you know, look at any given Google service and you will find that most of them are not more than a couple years old because they keep trashing them and starting a new thing in the same mm-hmm. market and that just won't work for video games. Also, this is a new way for Google to collect data on you. Which is really what they want. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not an efficient way to collect data, so... It's just different data. It's different data, but it's also, like, it's the kind of data that, like, what you draw from it, like, how much data you can pull from it versus how how server-intensive it is means that it's not a super efficient way to get data. Right. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, I am looking forward to Stadia coming out and something horrible to happen the first time they try to launch the feature where someone is where someone can click on a YouTube video and start playing with their favorite horrible YouTube man. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but, yeah, yeah like um, I... Um, the other thing is with it all streaming model is it also effectively eliminates the handheld market. Right. Yeah, yeah, that typically doesn't work. Uh, Except, I mean, technically, yes, smartphones, but then that would drive up your roaming charges like crazy. Yeah, people don't really care. Like, a lot of things just won't work when you're uh, on data because, I mean, that's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, the Switch has proven there is a market for that. Like, people enjoy having a handheld system like that. It's, yeah. yeah. So. I, do, uh, I do take mild issue with the premise here, in part because uh, Budai mentions someone like Nintendo could possibly do well in this market based on their strong catalog. Uh, I, would, I would argue Nintendo kind of needs hardware refreshes. Yeah. Because, because they... Oh, oh, I was going to say, yeah, a, a lot of their stuff is based on using the toys in new ways. Yeah, like a lot of times, like, what's the new, uh, like, the way to chart the course of what the new Mario or Zelda is going to be is what are the new features they're trying to show off. So, like, yeah. without that capacity to refresh them, it'll be harder to make those games distinct. Uh, whereas Sony or Microsoft, like, Microsoft, I think, especially, would be perfectly happy to just run a software platform. Well, Microsoft's like a soft company, so yeah. Yeah. 
like if they, if they could do that instead, I think they would be very happy to. And I think that there's a reason they haven't tried it yet. Um, but yeah, so like that that would be my actual take here is that I don't think it's ready. I think maybe we have this discussion again in ten years, presuming that something gets done with U.S. Inf- internet infrastructure. So maybe that is a too optimistic timetable. Uh, but. Uh, I yeah, especially like the worst part about this is that the more computationally complex games get the wor- and the more that like image fidelity gets prioritized, the worse that this gets. But there's also just like the underlying technical problems of like if you don't have a server nearby, there's only so much they can optimize input lag because once the server is far enough away, you actually start dealing with the problem of you can't get your inputs there fast enough because the speed of light won't allow it. Yeah, so. I mean, and once you get into an actual streaming service, I mean, look, there's a market for this. We're probably going to get one that's pretty decent at some point. But, you know, think of something like Netflix. You know, what if you're in the middle of some long RPG and, oh, whoops, sorry, that, that RPG is leaving this service this month. Oh, that's going to be a nightmare. yeah. Because so, currently what we have is everyone's trying to start their own digital store, but you still have the digital copy of the game for the most part. Right. Yeah. Whereas, imagine if everyone's trying to do this current nightmare that is streaming platforms where there's like 50 of them and everyone's trying to have their own. But with t- video games, also your save can't follow it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, um, I mean, looking at the current market for streaming video i'm waiting for an atari style crash to happen in the next year or two i feel like the only thing that's going to survive that are places that have other businesses to fall on amazon Mm -hmm. places that are you know still popular enough to weather it netflix and places that have so much content they can't be ignored disney yeah anything else is going to crash and burn there will be a winnowing yeah yeah, remember when uh, cutting the cord was all the big rage because you'd save money? Mm-hmm. And that's uh, why people were willing... Like, uh, I don't think enough companies realized that their product alone was not enough to sustain an entire service. Yeah. Either that or they're doing it out of a sense of, you know, if we do this right now, we might be able to leverage this into a good buyout later. Yeah, Maybe. but that feels like... That feels like more the strategy you had when Hulu started, which did, in fact, get bought out by, like, five people. But and it's now owned, or, well, not it's now. It's now owned by Disney. I, that this, The sale of that stake, I, I guess, is going to take a while, but eventually it will be fully owned by Disney, which is weird. Antitrust laws are not strong enough in the U.S. to stop that sale, so for all intents and purposes, that sale yeah, is finished. Yeah, yeah. Or at least enforcement of antitrust laws are not strong enough to stop that sale. But, yeah, so that's going to be... I don't know what Disney even wants with that. I don't have any idea what they intend to do with a second streaming service. Yeah. Collapse it into theirs and eliminate competition. I mean, like, if they were going to do that, I I just... I don't know. It's very confusing. I just want to say this to Budai. There's always some next best thing that's going to knock off the current status quo. And it usually doesn't, at least not completely. I mean, um, 
You can still walk into a store and buy DVDs. Heck, you can walk into a store and buy a vinyl record. <laughs> Although that one's more nostalgia. Yeah. That's true. But I would... I know, um, the, the big media store downtown has, right next to its v- DVD rental area, a spot that sells vinyl records. <laughs> yeah. But what I would say... Oh, God. If there's a market for it, it'll still exist. If there's still a market for physical games, which there is currently and probably will be for quite a while, it will probably continue. Certainly until so, we're dead. Yeah. Uh, streaming streaming gaming is very new. It's going to go through many, many growing pains, and it may just fall by the wayside. Who knows? So, what? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, you first. Hello. 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 Okay. Uh, what what I would say is that this the thing that people would be most interesting about this to me is that it has the potential to siphon off a certain kind of person who buys a console because there are games they want to play, mm-hmm. but not a lot of them. I would suspect that this has the most potential to siphon off a person who buys Madden, Call of Duty, and maybe one other game a year, and nothing else. Like, they would probably be well-served by a streaming setup. Yeah. And I don't think that that's enough to kill the solid game, like the current game market as it exists. Well, I'd say a similar thing we've already experienced because if you look at the the DS market, which sold an insane number of consoles, uh, and once gaming on mobile phones came along, everyone said that was going to wipe that out, and it didn't. And the reason is kind of similar to what you said because all the people that maybe just bought a DS and bought one or two games or just bought some few casual things. All those people that were using the DS for casual type stuff were now gaming on mobile. But there was still a very, very large market for the 3DS, and as we've seen, there's a large market for the Switch. Mm-hmm. It makes these... The current consoles have to work more to make clear their use case. Right. Which is what the Switch is best at at this point. Uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the way that I would look at things is that it's I wouldn't consider it an all or nothing. This will either completely take over the market or will fizzle out. I would consider it uh, what part of the market will this take, and whether like the thing the thing that might kill it is that that is that not being a large enough market to sustain how expensive a venture that constantly running servers is. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super expensive for a multitude of reasons, just to even have them on at all times. So, I mean, I don't know the logistics inside of Google, and I don't honestly, like, even if this takes off, I don't expect Stadia to be what takes off because I don't trust Google to care about it in three years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pull up that uh, quote from an interview. Uh, oh, what the hell was it? Okay. Uh, there was some amazing 
like thing where they're like, uh, okay, let's see. I think I found the exact quote. Uh, is there another? Is this just another ambitious Google project that will disappear in a few years, like Google Plus? Which to which the Google Flack responded, "I understand the concern, but I think that all you have to do is look at the level of investment that we've made and continue to make in Stadia. This is not a trivial project by any means. This is a very, very significant cross-company effort that isn't just my team, but it's also across YouTube." across our technical infrastructure and networking team. It represents thousands of people who are working in this business. And it's like, buddy, that is exactly what Google Plus was. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Google Plus. I forget you video. even existed. <laughs> yeah, that one super died. Uh, that, that game, that, that entire initiative super died because it wasn't succeeding as much as they wanted it to. And it uh, suddenly Google had a new chief executive officer who didn't care about it. <laughs> so if it doesn't immediately take off and it doesn't take off in time for it to become a tentpole business by the time they have a new CEO, you might just see Stadia go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would say that there's probably like, I would say at least two to one odds that that's what happens yeah as if uh, yeah could be a pretty rocky road to start off with well depending on library and cost and whatnot so I don't know and how much they're willing to pony up for exclusives because they're going to need them yeah and and that's the other thing with streaming like if none of the big exclusives are on these services. You know, you can call yourself the Netflix of gaming all you want and have great, you know, have great connectivity and whatnot, but if you don't have good exclusives, then it's not going to matter. That's that's the other thing you run into, is that these companies, like, a company is going to be really reticent to on some level, devalue their game because, like, oh, it's just part of the subscription. You don't pay specifically for a study of game, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. So. Well, on the topic of exclusive games and the draw thereof, next question was about how important is the killer app, mm-hmm. as they call it, gaming? And I'm thinking back to Nintendo's usual um, marketing strategies that like for for the original Nintendo was Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, for Super Nintendo, Super Mario, Game Boy had Tetris and Link to the Past, or not? I mean, sorry, Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening was a few years later, but it did have Mario Land. Yep, uh, but I mean, Tetris was the one that was bundled originally with yeah. the Game Boy, and that was a killer app. Yeah. Um, when Game Boy Color came out, they re-released Link's Awakening in color, and I'm pretty sure I remember them bundling it with the Game Boy Color for a while. They also- they also advertised Pokemon Yellow alongside the Game Boy Color. Yep, so those were all killer app, literally killer app games. They were strong enough to attract people to buy the actual machine. See also Mario 64, a game so strong that it basically sold the entire console. For, to like, yeah. Like, Mario's, like, the N64 didn't do anywhere near as well as the PlayStation, but, like... The difference between the N64 and the Sega Saturn is the difference between having one having the mascot game that everyone wanted to see in 3D and one not having it. 
So yeah, so if we're talking about just like that kind of thing for streaming with killer apps, then Budai's point about Nintendo having a strong first-party lineup is actually pretty on. That one is very important. Yeah, yeah, because at, at the very least, Nintendo won't have to worry about negotiating exclusives with anybody because they actually own their own exclusives. Yep. Yeah. So. Sony's been trying to build that up, but they never let a franchise live long enough to really reach that status. Yeah. Again, because Sony is originally a hardware company and Nintendo is a toy company. Yeah. And it's also you just, just see the difference in philosophies. It's also a case of, like, the ones that Sony likes to really push tend to be the ones that children probably shouldn't be playing. And to really yeah. inculcate the <laughs> proper degree of brand loyalty, you have to get it when a child's brain is malleable and will learn to love the shape of your mascot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you got Sony, you have Microsoft, where a lot of the game design decisions are made by marketing people, and you have Nintendo. Yeah. Which has its, a, its personal set of gurus st um, sitting there. Or even 70s, and doing a much better job of it. Yeah, although they're also, like, smartly enough, like, it seems that their oldest designers have stepped back and have been training new ones for, like, 20 years at this point, so... And there's the other thing, as a multi-century company, company, they actually know how to plan for the future. Hmm. So... Yeah. Uh, to... to take on more of this question a little bit like uh, is a strong diverse lineup good enough without the big title that hooks the most players I would argue that a big title that hooks a ton of players is what gives you a strong diverse lineup because yeah. that you need that first step or no one will follow as you can see with a lot mm -hmm. of failed systems so Xbox One uh, yeah, Xbox, like the Xbox One it doesn't have a bad library. It has at least three quarters of what comes out on the PS4. It just doesn't have anything that gives it an identity. Nope. Nope. Except um, for any jokes you can make about its name. Yeah, pretty much. X-Bone. Never forget that after three months of trying to get people to stop saying X-Bone, Microsoft just gave up and bought the domain xbone.com. <laughs> hilarious yeah uh, you you need something that grabs attention mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the best game in the world but it needs to be enough to make someone notice it exists with, because the strong diverse lineup will not have time to get there if there isn't something that pulls people in to look at it another way the, the Wii launched with Wii Sports and that was enough to pull uh, to pull people in that wouldn't have looked at it otherwise. Whereas the Wii U launched with New Super Mario Brothers U, which is probably a better game, but it wasn't a killer app. It was a game that people would absolutely buy if they already had the system. Look at how much Super Mar New Super Mario Brothers Wii sold. It sold like 40 million copies. People will absolutely buy that game if they have something that plays it. They won't buy a system for it, and no amount of it being on there did any good. <laughs> and that's kind of like that precarious situation that they end up in. And I think one of the things that was beneficial to Nintendo about the Wii U is that they came to, they got 
very strong evidence about what could sell systems and what could not. Mm-hmm. So, like, you would see sales bumps when Mario Kart came out or Splatoon came out. Like, those sold systems, whereas, like, something, you know, something simpler, like, that could sell, like, that would sell to people who already owned one, but it wouldn't sell to anyone that didn't. And I think mm-hmm. that's the real line we're looking at here is, like, you need those games that will sell to anyone who owns them because they need that supply to keep want to keep the system in the public eye and to keep telling their friends like this is a good system but you need that first one that draws in a large enough crowd to keep that like life cycle of marketing but that's just my opinion <laughs> yeah you sound pretty right <laughs> I mean, I think a good example of that is if you look back at, like, the life cycle of the PS3, about how kind of slow it was to begin with, but once... once so like MGS4 came out? Yeah, yeah. Once, it was, once you got past them doing really boring games like Killzone and... Uh, Killzone didn't even manage to freak out until 2009. Like, that yeah. was a long game, long, long time to get that one out. Ugh. Uh... What I would say is there's I can think of one console that sold entirely on the back of the assumption that there would be good games eventually. PS2? PS2. And that, that also had DVD on its side. Like, the rise yeah. of the DVD format was a big, big, big part of that. But and like it was that's, cheaper than a lot of the DVD players. Yeah. But, like, that, it was important the DVD was already something people wanted because they tried that trick again and it didn't work. But... <laughs> But the, the thing that I would look at is, like, that, even that aside, like, that is the only time I can think of where a system sold despite having almost nothing of value on it. Like, Plus an incredibly disastrous opening because they had to push to get numbers to meet the demand at launch, and they cut too many corners for production and half the things bricked. Yeah, although, on, to their advantage, it took about a year for most of them to brick, so... Long enough that yeah. your warranty's up. Um, yeah. I'm very bitter about this. You'll never guess whose uh, PS2 disk drive didn't work, because guess what? Sony didn't put anything in there to try to keep the disk mm. laser in alignment. There's nothing in that system to keep it there. And this is why I generally wait two or three years or almost the entire generation cycle before getting a new console. Yeah. At, at this point, I expect something about any Sony product I purchased to break at some portion of at some point in its lifespan. I uh, know. I mean, um, my PS2 is still functioning, but it, I got in like 2005. Yeah, like I, I'm an I'm an early adopter because I'm an idiot. But and so that means that like at the only one I've had that hasn't broken is the Vita, and I'm convinced that's just because I don't use it that much. Well, mine had an issue with Phantom go- with uh, Ghost Movement, so I had to get a control oh, nub replaced. Or, but it's working fine now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I always... working fine now. I'm currently stuck on a boss in Final Fantasy X, too. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, like, for me, I, I always suspected that those analog sticks would be a possible point of failure since I got it, because it they just sort of feel like the sort of thing that, oh, there's not much protecting this, and if I put it in my pocket, they feel like they'll break. <laughs> but, uh, like, uh, let's see, PS1, uh, 
drive laser failed eventually. That happened to a lot of people. Did you have to uh, play yours upside down? I, I sure did not. Did. I did not know about that trick at the time, so I don't uh, even know if it would have worked. Uh, yeah. Uh, PS2 did, did not work all the time. FYI. Yeah, yeah. Well, like eventually, what would happen from what I've looked into, like the laser, it, it wears out on one end, and then you turn it upside down, and it's you. You end up using a part that isn't worn out, but eventually that wears out too, and that's just going to break no matter what. <laughs> but, but yeah, I was not. I did not know about that trick, and I'm not the kind of insane that would cause me to try that by itself. <laughs> and yet, my Saturn still works. Yeah, that's for you, that's Sony. A, that is the system that feels like it should be breaking constantly. I've heard the cartridge port's not super reliable, but it's, um, oh, oh no, it's not. <laughs> Hey, remember when Sega intended to release games on cartridge for that? Good thing they didn't do that. Uh, let's see. Uh, PS2, disc read errors. Uh, PS3, yellow light of death eventually. Um, PSP, I got like these horrible... It was like there were fingerprints on the inside of the screen. It really muddied a lot of picture. Huh. And that eventually, like... I kind of just replaced that before it was allowed to break completely. <laughs> No. I got lucky with the PSP, except the PSP Go I accidentally dropped off a desk onto a hardwood floor. Yeah, I don't blame that thing for breaking that desk. Yeah. Thankfully, they were, remember... they were still doing repairs, so I got it replaced for like uh, less than retail value. And now they're worth over 100 bucks somehow. Yep. Uh, what was I going to say? I, did, I do remember, I wasn't an early adopter of the PSP. I actually got the second model. Because I was an earlier adapter of the DS Lite. I, I picked up the DS Lite because the original DS's hardware design sickened me. Uh, oh, I still have mine uh, for that one, too. I still have my yeah. Mar Mario Kart Red DS. For, for me, it's, it was more like I had a, I, I played a friend's DS for a little bit, and it, it was fine, but the combination of the GBASP style screen that I wasn't like one brightness that I wasn't a huge fan of mixed with the fact that like the light was announced pretty early on. So it didn't, I didn't feel like I was waiting that long, especially because it launched alongside the original new super Mario brothers. Mm. But uh, yeah, uh, PSP, I got the second revision of PSP 2000 ended up making a lot of revisions of that system, but they didn't give them names. Uh, yeah. Uh, man, I'm just thinking about how, like, when the PSP came out, like, it seemed perfectly acceptable to package it with a 32 megabyte memory card, which was <laughs> perfectly normal at the time, and it's like, you can't even come close to, like, even the cheapest thing you could imagine. You can't manufacture... It, it would be more expensive to manufacture something with that little memory at that point. <laughs> Amazing. Reminds me of, like, the worst money for storage you could possibly spend in, like, 2011 when they were still selling them as a PS2 memory card, which was, like, $30 for 8 megabytes. <laughs> I don't even know how that was allowed to happen. They, I, I assume there's something about the PS2's, like, internals that it can't address more memory than that. But, ugh. what a time to be alive! Uh, I forget what 
what got us onto the subject of hardware streaming. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow, we re- we want to feel. So well, actually, this also leads into Budai's next question of when do you decide to go ahead and get a console? Uh, I'm a big dumb idiot, and I get all of them. Uh, when uh, when sh- there's shiny, shiny. When I need the shiny. <laughs> Well, in my case, it's usually when they've dropped enough in price that I can mentally justify the budgeting, and yeah. or they, and or they've collected enough games and series that I like that I know that I will be playing it regularly, mm. which is kind of what happened with the Vita for me. It's like okay, right. yeah, we've got we've got some Atelier games on here. We have the next Saga game. We have uh, um, met the next Metal Max game. None of these turned out to be particularly good choices. But it was enough to sell you. <laughs> yes. Um, and honestly, I probably would have been better off with a Switch, but that's maybe for next oh, well. year. Yeah. yeah the way I. Switch, I had to get right away because Zelda. Yeah, Portable Zelda was enough. Like, that, like I guess me and Wheels are the dumb, like, killer app audience. Because, like. I mean that that was a pretty killer app. And oh yeah. Although yeah, I don't really as it was. I, it's although at the same time I had a Wii U, I could have just gotten it for the Wii U. Technically, but you wanted it portable. I had to have it. I had to had to have it portable. Yeah. But yeah, uh, like the way I would look, I'm looking at like I, I can take an accounting of like well what sold me most of these systems. Well, new Super Mario Brothers on the DS. Uh, the Vita was Persona 4 Golden. Uh, PS4, it was some combination of knowing there would be more I cared about, but also, like, I was an Infamous fan, so Infamous 3 sold that. Uh, X-Bone, Dead Rising 3 sold that. The X-Bone uh, was weird for me because, yes, there were some you exclusives. You were buying it for Halo? <laughs> well, no. No, no, no. The, the exclusives were an added bonus. What really sold me on the system was backwards compatibility. Oh, yeah, which, because someone cared about it. Which <laughs> you may think is weird, but I had a bunch of Xbox 360 games I liked, and I did not want to own a 360 anymore because I had... despised his Xbox 360. Despised it, had too many problems with it. I had one where the... I've told, I think I've told this story on here before where when I was moving, I discovered that the power strip on my Xbox 360 had started to melt into the entertainment center. <laughs> oh! Yeah. So, but I was wheels. very done with that system. <laughs> Here's the all-important question, though. Does the X-Bone allow us to play Haunted the Demon's Forge together again? <laughs> Thank God it does not. <laughs> All, all the better, all the better. Ugh. Memories, terrible, terrible memories. Ask me and Wales how that worked out sometime if you want to hear that story again. I think we probably told it at least once, but and, it's hilarious. And oh, also, funny story about my 360 troubles. None of my problems were ever the Red Ring of Death. So think about that. I think after a while, they just, they like some of the later revisions of 360 don't use that indicator anymore because they didn't want to get false positives anymore. Because <laughs> sometimes, like, there were different kinds, like, the amount of sectors of that ring that were red deter- like, was supposed to tell you something. And sometimes the, the thing that it was supposed to tell you was the AV cable isn't all the way plugged in. Yikes. But 
like people heard that oh the ring will turn red and that means it's it's broken and so they saw any number of sectors as red and it was like oh well time to send this in so eventually they i believe on the later models the thing that was uh that was the common three red lights internal hardware failure was changed to like e71 but it, it would like to display that on screen Yeah, uh, let's see, what, what, Xbox, what Xbox 360 problems did I have? I got an overheating error once. I can't remember what how many sectors were lit up for that. I got the AV cable as loose uh, at least once. And eventually I did get unfortunate and did just get a straight-up red ring. No. Like the three-quarters uh, internal hardware fault. But, of course, yeah. I, I had the, uh, the regular problem over here with an Xbox 360. Can't find it anywhere. <laughs> like the other option was that you could find it and just no one wanted it. So, well, I'm sure if I looked, I could find it for a really nice discount now, maybe oh, fifty probably. bucks or less. Yeah. Yeah, I'd suspect at least. Uh, not sure what you'd want to do with it, but you could. Goodbye. You could play uh, Tales of Vesperia. Uh, it would be a very nice paperweight. It's nice and heavy. Uh, Doorstop. Never, I feel like the original Xbox was better for that, but uh, never forget that the original Xbox never sold through its initial shipment in Japan. Yep. What poor, a time. Poor Xbox One. Um, did, they, did they do a wide release of that in Japan? I know it got released there in no, some No, I'm, I'm making a joke about... I'm calling oh, original, the original Xbox. Xbox. Xbox One. <laughs> They took your name away. Making a bad joke, sorry. Sorry, it's, it's legitimately <laughs> confusing. I know. I know. <laughs> but, yeah. I can't believe that Dead or Alive and Genma Onimusha couldn't sell the console. Nor Nezumix. I'm just thinking of all the, like, uh, Shin Megami Tensei 9. Just thinking of all the Japan-specific Xbox software I can think of. Yeah, I... I don't even remember. Uh, Nezumix released in America as Sneakers. The hmm. hide-and-seek game about rats. Huh. Uh, I got a million of these. They're all very strange. Uh, what, a, what a confused, disastrous launch. Mm -hmm. Microsoft. Let's <laughs> see. Uh, see something like the PlayStation. The the last part of this question was something like the PlayStation Five is given to be a worth is a given to be worth your purchase over its lifetime. But when is that time? When is the time to get it for you? Uh, I don't know when I'll get around to the PS Five because I don't trust it to be very like to have a lot of exclusives out of the gate. Because Sony keeps being hedging with like, well, we'll try to do a bunch of cross platform the PS4, and it's really going to depend on how much they actually follow through on that. I don't yeah. care about 8K and ray tracing. I, I, it's like... I'll yeah, tell you... I'll tell uh, you exactly... Yeah. Sorry, uh, Dave. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you exactly when you're going to get the PS5. Spider-Man 2. <laughs> you're assuming that's an exclusive. Uh, I am... Yes, I am assuming... You it's assume that be... they will not do that cross PS4, PS5? Yes. Putting your money where your mouth is. Yep. Okay. Uh, what were you saying, Gaijin? 
I was just going to say, going back to Sony as a hardware company. Yep. Ah. Yep. It would yep. probably be wise to hold off on that. Yeah. It's, no, I mean, you're talking about like the things that they tend to promote when they're um, talking about their newest console or their newest hardware. It's all the hardware. Yeah. It's like ray tracing or higher memory or this or that and hoping that that's enough to impress people to sell it. Yeah, like ray tracing is technically a software technique, so that's probably not even going to be that common because it's a really expensive operation that could be better used on anything else. <laughs> they just want to show off that you can do it, and I mean, you could on a lot of systems if you were willing to sacrifice everything else about the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what I want in the next console, like a solid state drive to begin with more space like that's that's what they promised is that solid state drive but you can put a solid straight state drive in a ps4 there's nothing stopping yeah. you I, I would like a 5g wireless to start in the ps5 unlike the ps4 that would be swell although i have mine plugged in thankfully yeah wireless is getting better by fits and starts <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know what I'd actually want because it feels like the 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 their essential selling point is that it'll be the PS4 Part Two. Like it'll play all your PS4 games, and we promise we'll keep supporting the PS4. So like, my thought process is good. I'm glad, but I also don't feel any urgency to purchase this with that right. sales right. statement. Uh, I'm glad. Like I'm glad they're doing that. They've obviously saw the positive reaction to the the Xbone. Uh, for doing that, uh, but yeah, they are also in a position more. where it is. They are also in a position where it's not flatly untenable to future hardware design to keep building on the current hardware paradigm. Yeah, uh, but I mean, really, you could say whatever they want about their hardware. If they have some game that is, as we say, killer app, that's probably all that's going to matter. Like, is La- the Last of Us Two going to be? PS5 exclusive? It's not. Yeah, probably not. It's wrapping up. Like, it's wrapping up as a PS4 title. They would burn so much goodwill if they just said, well, it's PS5 only now. Yeah. I would suspect that Uncharted 5 will be a... a, uh, Oh, they're not going to do that, are they? Come on. They put such a perfect cap on the series. Buddy. Buddy. It's, uh, I'm just going to put this out there right now. It sells a lot, and they have two teams at Naughty Dog. <laughs> just let Nathan Drake retire. I didn't say Uncharted 5 would star Nathan Drake. Okay. I suspect okay. they can't resist him, but I didn't say they had to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just don't know if it would have the same, like, selling appeal if they don't use the same main character. I would suspect that the most recent one that starred the side characters was probably them testing the waters to see how much the series sells without yeah. Nathan Drake. Yeah, that's a good point. Did anyone buy that? I, I did. Know. I haven't played it, but I did. I, have, I haven't played one since 3 came out, so I don't oh, know. You're terrible. I'm sorry, I just I get bored <laughs> halfway through them the and then stop. so good. I, I know, I guess. Pirates! There's that really weird Crash Bandicoot section where it's obviously not an emulation of the PS1 version, but it's trying to be for some reason. But then it's like, 
But it screws up on the weirdest thing, because, like, Crash Bandicoot doesn't have a score, but that has a score. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, it's just a funny a little game. thing. Oh. I know, but, I mean, if you're going to do the funny little thing, why did you add a score? <laughs> I get... I like the bit where it's Nathan and... I forget her name, playing Crash Bandicoot together, but... It's going to turn out it's going to star Nathan's daughter. Um, I'd be up for that. That seems like the logical place to take it if they want to not be completely contrived. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, that That would be what I would suspect that they would market. That they would try to really, when they're ready to end-of-life PS4 and they really want to sell PS5, they will put either God of War 2, reboot God of War 2, or oh, Uncharted 5. Please don't 5. call it God of War 2. It's going to be called God of War 2 and you have to live with that. The Google searches. <laughs> it's okay. They, they've got very good SEO. They will bear, You will forget there was ever a PS2 God of War 2. I, I would be ha- okay with that. <laughs> Erased from the time stream. F that game. And its sequels. <laughs> well, I'm not a huge fan of the reboot one. It's better, but I still don't care. Uh, that's a story for another day. Let's I hit mean, this last question. Viking mythology is a little less played out than Greek mythology. Yeah, but I still don't like the story they're telling. That's okay. I'm thinking if they have it's to do okay. anything, then they should be going after the Bhagavad Gita next. Just take up the Hindi pantheons. That would oh be red. I think that's yeah. too living a pantheon. There's still too like that has plenty of adherence, whereas those others are like they have well, I mean, adherence, kind of. But. Um, I mean, if you look at a lot of the the Hindi um, holy books, like the Rig Veda is largely oh, what's the right word here? Um, like at one point they couldn't decide on which deity actually created the universe, so they create did creation myths and poetry dedicated to each major deity, just in case. <laughs> yeah. but it's so, um, I mean, a lot of, I mean, and also most religions don't take the literal stories of their holy texts as seriously as the Christians do. That so, I, some, I agree with, some Christians. They still, they still consider it important. I, I, I'm thinking of this because I have a friend who is Hindu and who, like, you know, he's not a super liter like taking his create these lit- myths very literally but at the same time he was still offended as hell by like smite i think it was yeah it was smite i know exactly what, what you're smite? talking about it's a smite um, was a uh, MOBA, moba where you played as various uh, gods yeah so and you know killed each other with them yeah you got you got like <laughs> uh, egyptian gods and greek gods and then yeah it's a very like disrespectful thing to do with a pantheon who has a living like cohort of people that care about it. So I don't think marketing would let them do that, even if they tried it. Never mind. They should go Japanese pantheon then, because the Japanese don't Japan really care. mind if they. I mean, they put their own deities into crazy stuff like this. I I remember frickin' like I I just talked about Persona Four earlier, and that was a game where you where you killed Izanami at the end. Well, granted, Izanami is also canonically undead in her yeah. own religion. Yeah. But and not very those... happy huh. about seeing her. Yeah, but it is still one of those situations where it's like, you can just do whatever to Shinto yeah. Pantheon, and, they, and like it won't stir up enough controversy for a company to care. 
it won't stir up any controversy because a lot of Japanese people only know their own deities from the video games. <laughs> oh, definitely. But there's probably there's I, I mean, probably a small contingent that cares, but it's not enough of one for it to be a controversy. And the and the contingent that does care is like cool. People are actually paying attention to this. I mean, like tell you the, about the Shinto first them. the first Kuzunoha Raido game on PS2 was a like a re um rematch between the gods of heaven and earth nice yeah i mean the gods of earth specifically trying to get back at heaven for the original conquest two thousand years ago so yeah uh yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. let's have kratos just tr attempt to take out some of the japanese deities should be fun some, some of them might even thank him for it <laughs> Oh, at least one of them will probably try to seduce him with a strip tease. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like God of War. No, I mean, because literally there is, a there is a myth in Japan where the goddess of the sun just got really pissed off at her brother, the storm, and went and hid in a cave. And the only way they got her out was one of the other goddesses literally did a strip tease to seduce her out of the cave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well then, uh, so I'm changing religions. Yes. Wow, <laughs> I didn't think you had one to start with. Nice. Eh, you know. Yeah. One of them agnostics. Yeah. I don't well, like that word, but probably technically yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever word makes you comfortable. Yeah. But, uh, wheels. That makes him comfortable. <laughs> yes, he, he is wheels. Okay. So. Oh, um, by the way, Wheels, as per your suggestion, I did see Detective Pikachu the other day. Nice. Nice. It was, it was fun. It was fun. There was, almost no, there was almost nobody in the theater at the time, so I was free to laugh out loud as much as I wanted. Nice. Yes. Uh, did you enjoy the part where he uh, kicked the Magikarp? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, nice callback there. Yeah. And then, oh, rage, R rage, guys, lake of rage. Oh, boy, they should have made that Gyarados red. <laughs> that would have been cute. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought my brother was going to fall uh, out of his chair at, during that part. <laughs> He's laughing so hard. I know, I was all, I mean, the first one part that actually made me laugh really hard was um, the Home Alone reference. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute, I recognize it. They're actually playing angels with <laughs> filthy souls. Change of filthy I, animals. Keep the change of filthy animal. I'm like, oh, oh dear. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I was going to say, how was the Japanese dub? Oh, I didn't watch the Japanese dub. They oh, you just saw the English over here. Hey. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I made sure I actually saw it in English because, hey, Ryan Reynolds is Pikachu. Yep. Yeah, no, like, he he's really the... I, I can't imagine, like, you'd have to have a really good dub to make up for that loss. I, I yeah. just, I know they're dubbing it in some capacity, because at least it's some version of it, because I know that Ken Watanabe apparently recorded his scenes for both versions, or at least he's, dub he's oh, dubbing over I mean, himself. <laughs> I mean, it was released in Japanese and English over here, just separate theaters. Uh, uh, I would, I would imagine that... Um, I mean, without without even looking, I would imagine that they just used the same voice actor who did the Pikachu in the, the, the 3DS game. Possible, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, almost certain. Yeah. 
In which case, uh, he'd sound more like a very kind of a gruff middle-aged man. Probably yeah, like half, like a almost bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this might be the only time we're discussing a movie that all three of us have seen. <laughs> yes, amazing. But um, yeah, I think my favorite bit out of the entire thing was how they managed to make Ditto into a reasonably good secondary villain. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I'm like, wow! Yes! (laughs) Good Good use. Hmm? Yeah, that was... (laughs) I had had a good time. Uh, It's good that there is a video game movie that I can look at and say, no, that is unequivocally a good movie. Not a great movie, but a good movie. (laughs) <laughs> Strangely enough, it's also the second video game movie I saw this weekend. Oh, what's the first? Rampage. <laughs> what a kaiju film. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you want, I mean, if we're discussing it in terms of just video game movies, it succeeded at that about as well as Pikachu did. Interesting. It has, it has a really good uh, poster art in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, if you... I mean, if you ha- um, how do you gauge a success as being a video game movie? It's generally how close does it give the feel of the video game? And you have three giant monsters who are climbing a building in the middle of Chicago and manage to bring it down. Mm-hmm. As yeah. you would hope. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like they provided a reason for the monsters to exist, a reason for them to be attacking the building, and a... R- really ridiculously over-the-top villain. Um, so. Definitely not as good a movie as Pikachu, but still counts it's as very a good at video being game what adaptation. It, it's yeah. exactly what you expected out of it. Well, it's got yeah. The Rock, uh, right? Yeah. It had The yeah. Rock, and yeah. it had... Um, yeah, I'm not sure how they did the... I mean, the gorilla was actually a pretty good CGI mocap, whatever. Mm-hmm. With the um, even with the hand si- hand signs and the bad sense of humor. <laughs> I just remember. Uh, I remember that because like the Rock on Twitter was like avidly tracking its Rotten Tomatoes score, hoping that it would be like the first video game movie in like forever to actually break fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> what did it get to? I think it got around fifty. I assume Pikachu did better than that. Uh, oh, say, yeah, it okay. got, oh, 52%. Yep, it just Rock barely managed it. Which, it. which, when you think about it, is ridiculously high for a video game movie. Yeah. Detective Pikachu's at 66%. Nice. Yeah. Might be the only video game movie with a fresh rating. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, like, the entire... Uh. Like, it was nice. Doing? Oh, gasoline, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fun. It had, uh, it had... It really was the banter that sold it, so... Yeah. Yeah. But the... the I'm glad that they saved the best Mr. Mime joke for like that managed to avoid being in the trailer. <laughs> uh, 
And the way that that which, scene which caps one did you think is the best. The drop. Uh, I'm match. saying like the, the gasoline drop match thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah. But I like I also just really appreciate some line some of the some of the lines that like don't really work out of context but in context they were really perfect with stuff like this really blows my bridge discovery out of the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my god. But and that and the bit right at the beginning where the reporter is talking about how terrible it is to sit around writing BuzzFeed articles, uh, listicles about what the top ten cutest Pokemon are. Because News they're flash. all cute! <laughs> okay. Newsflash! News they're all adorable. <laughs> and also, like, the brief interjection of, oh yeah, my grandma loves this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, good movie. Go see it. It's it's worth your time. Yeah, uh, great CG. Yeah, they really like. They were aware that if they failed to get the Pokemon right, the entire production would collapse. Yeah. So they got them right. And then they did all the Pokemon. Yeah. yeah, a lot of really good ones. I was very happy when my precious my precious first Pokemon Bulbasaur was very good. What a good. Oh point. yes, oh yes, Bulbas. Yes, they were adorable. Yeah, the green, the Greninjas were really cool as well. Yeah, I I liked it towards uh, like near the very beginning when he first arrived in the city, and you could see the little pandas playing in the bamboo. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the pandas all like the... over their dad, who was slumped on the bench trying to take a nap. Their dad is so done with this. And... <laughs> it's like, yes, I feel that. I feel that, dude. Deeply relatable Pokemon. <laughs> and Ken Watanabe's partner was a snubble. Oh man. Yeah, that felt that felt right. That felt good. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll probably see that again when it comes out on uh, streaming or DVD or whatever. Yeah. yeah. See, do we want to hit this last question that I seem to have accidentally paged away from? Let me go grab that. <laughs> sure. Okay, I will reach that eventually. Okay, here we are. Uh, Nintendo's handheld system has always been home to a lot of smaller budget but great titles. These types of titles still have a future on the Switch. Many Western <laughs> indie games seem fine. I would say yes. Uh, yeah. Many Western indie games seem fine to release solely on the eShop. It seems to be working well for them, but Japanese developed games do digital only less option often. Do you feel Western developed indie the Western developed indie scene is more thriving than the Japanese indie scene? I, I mean, that really tough. depends on which series you're looking at. Yeah, but I mean. My uh, my dude, there are games that launch on Steam and Switch at the same time. And nothing else. Which is, <laughs> yeah, and then nothing else, which is not a world I ever thought I would live in. <laughs> it, it seems like Nintendo actually courts these to a greater extent as well, because like, they actually do directs that are just, here's all these indie games you could be playing, yeah. which gives these a lot more marketing than most of them will ever get otherwise. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it, it, it's... It's pretty flooded right now, but my god, are there so many freaking good games. It's ridiculous. They're still selling is the thing. Is yeah. that like most of these still sell at the very like at worst on parity with where they sell everywhere else and usually better, but uh let's see what the other thing uh the the thing about Japanese indie games versus Western indie games is you have to remember that you're comparing a nation to like a 
conglomeration of like a bazillion places mm-hmm. when you say Western indie games. Like you're encompassing everything from like America to Eastern Europe. <laughs> I was gonna say uh-huh. I know that Amps I know that in Amsterdam the Dutch government has a like a government sponsored game development building. Yeah. Because I met some of the people from there a couple years ago at TGS. It was kind of cool. Nice. Also, hey, Wheels, maybe you should tell Rhode Island about that idea. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. uh, (laughs) Sorry, easy swipe to make. Uh, I feel like the most I ever hear about Japanese indie games is at Bit Summit, which... I mean, like, the thing is that the scene is also very different because you also have, like, indie games that are indie enough that we wouldn't, we don't treat them like they're the same thing because they're doujin games. And a lot of those are porn, but a lot of those aren't porn. (laughs) Yep. And a lot of them started off as porn and then got republished without the porn. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when they graduate. Anything by Type Moon. Yeah. That's when they graduate. Yeah. And that's when they graduate from being doujin games to being indie games. Uh, Unless they're shooters, because most of the doujin shooters start out without the porn. Um, And then if they are Toho, then... So, yeah. um, yeah. Fans fill in the rest. Uh, But, yeah, like, uh, I, I would say that, like, it can be hard to tell because you start to see, like, a subdivision of how people refer to these. Because a lot of these, like, these doujin games will exist, but they'll have print runs of like fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen hundred copies, and only be sold at like two comic caps. <laughs> so, I mean, because like, a lot, I mean, a lot of the doujin circles are just making them to make them and share. Yeah, even. a lot of them will like be essentially of the idea of like you can share these, just don't put them in on the generalized internet and sell and give them to everyone. But yeah. It's it's uh and you know a lot of those are allowed in part because of looser uh, copyright things because I mean like a lot of Dojin stuff will have stuff that would be copyright infringement in a Western indie release, but it may actually be copyright infringement over here, but they don't care as much. Yeah, so like it, it's it's not copyright infringement in the sense that no one will try to enforce it, whereas with like a Western indie game, even like a small one or one that's released for free, they still run the risk in certain cases, depending upon, you know, what they're doing. So does Kimco count as an indie dev? Are they, they've existed for like 30 years. Okay. (laughs) Kimco's is an establishment publisher. Yeah. I want to say they're, they go back. Well, I mean like their early stuff was like their niche was, Porting Western PC games to the Famicom and releasing them, so that's where, and then those would get released back in the West with uh, games like uh, Uninvited, I guess, were like Mac Venture games. Uh, yeah, those were originally made by Icom for the for the Macintosh, as you would expect with the name Mac Venture. <laughs> So like that was that was kind of where Camco made its bones, and then they've just clung to life on very strange, often. Uh, well, I'll never forget that Camco put me through Batman Dark Tomorrow, so <laughs> Which might be one of the worst games I've ever rented. Um, 
well and truly just <sighs> okay no more no more no more uh, no tell us more <laughs> that's a game that uh, in the first level in mid jump the camera will switch directions and your controls with it while you're jumping oh. from rooftop to oh. rooftop causing you to fall oh. in and die <laughs> tell oh. us less <laughs> Let me tell you about how Batman has to arrest people with bat cuffs in that game. It's bad. Uh, there's game-breaking bugs all over. There are points, like, partway through where you're just like, oh, you're supposed to go through this door. It won't open. It, there's no way to know why it did that, but too bad. Hope you've got to save fairly recently. Hope it doesn't happen again. Yikes. Yeah, it was, it was a bad time. Bad video game. Um... There was a po- the the most beautiful thing about it is that it had too many bugs on the PS2. Sony told them they couldn't release it alongside the GameCube and Xbox versions. So instead of fixing them and resubmitting it, they just canceled that version. <laughs> it says a lot about the budget it was working on and how much they cared. But yeah, so that was uh, that's Chemco for you. <laughs> I don't know why I needed to talk about Camco, but it was important to me. For my bad. We were talking about indie developers, so yeah, they came up. Camco. Camco is not indie, but yeah, uh, there's probably a fascinating world of uh, weird Dogen software that will never have any sort of English uh, reference, or we will we will basically never be able to hear anything about the weird scene that exists there. <laughs> So that's that's the that would be the equivalent of like a game you see on Steam that you that sold 300 copies and that no one ever talked to you about. (laughs) Yeah, so I think that there is a thriving indie scene, but it's in this weird like sub indie space. Uh, that seems to run us out of questions. Thank you again, Budai, for somehow managing to put out that many questions after less than two days. <laughs> Sequentially, even. Yeah, like a lot of these actually fed into each other in a way that was very easy to transition between them. <laughs> even by accident, it seems. So we want to do our sign-offs, do our plugs? Mm, sure. You have okay, well, so. so who's going first? I would say you, but... Me? Okay, sure. <laughs> well, last last in, last, first out, I guess. Okay, <laughs> so Michael Baker, Gaijin Monogatari. Um, I'm actually putting... Um, I'm actually returning my little paperback to full publication really soon. Nice! nice. Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I took it off the market last year just because I was trying to work on new cover art for the entire mm. series and it's getting there nice so yeah um probably try to put the first episode um for um up for free for a week just to get some more attention again and see what i can do with this see what you can draw in Good yeah. Idea. yeah yeah uh, otherwise i guess me and Wheels don't really have anything new to plug. It's just like, more questions in the comment section. Don't yes. let Budai out, do you? He will, but don't let him just have it at, have it instantly. <laughs> questions in the comment section or on the Discord. 
Uh, Wheels seems to be basically dead alive. I'm not uh, dead. That's why I said dead alive. Oh. But, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I want to. I want to stream something at some point. Maybe Saints Row Four. Maybe an Assassin's Creed game. Maybe. I saw you playing Saints Row Four before this started. Discord betrays you at every turn. God, why did I connect that to Xbox Live? You can you can tell it not to share what you're playing. Uh, eh, it's fine. I just always know whether you're playing Magic the Gathering or other. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah okay, so there might be a stream sometime this week? Might be a stream. I may mess around with Mixer, because why not? Because it's actually easier to stream to, from Mixer on Xbox. I wonder I'm why shocked. that is. I'm shocked that Microsoft would make that easier. Mm. But yeah, I'm uh, re-experiencing Saints Row 4, which is glorious. Um, Can't believe Wheels has been re-elected for an unprecedented 15th term. <laughs> and uh, trying to reconnect with the Assassin's Creed series, which was a series I loved very dearly for four games. And then it fell off a cliff. <laughs> Which so, four games? Are you saying one through Brotherhood? Or? Yeah, one through, one through Revelation, three twos, I guess. yes. And then I forgot three. that there were three of them. Well, <laughs> and here's the thing: like, I didn't hate two. I didn't hate three. There was a lot to like about it. I think it was just more that the story left much, much to be desired. The story was very clearly, oh. Oh, we didn't want to commit to this being over anytime soon, and we just don't want to commit to this story anymore at all. So let's yeah. not. <laughs> Whoops. And the story in the past left a lot to be desired too. And the main character was uh, to go from Ezio to go from Ezio to a less enjoyable main character is kind of was kind of. An, uh, but he'd have been a lot better if they had not cut a lot of his best dialogue. Yeah, but need, needless to say, I'm going to grab the Switch version of 3, which also includes that Vita game and probably a more playable That game format. leaves a lot to desire. Yes. But as a, as like a throw-in, yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. It's, it's not a game I would ever advise someone to purchase by right. itself. Right. But, but as in like an added bonus, like, here you go, have this thing. <laughs> it's fine. It's like this weird case study of don't like if you've established a move set and then you split it between multiple characters, you're just going to piss the player off. Except that it's the same character, but they have to go to a changing room every time they want to change move sets. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, as far as games people listening to the show probably care more about, um, <laughs> Yokai Watch 4 is on the horizon. I have a pre order in on Amazon Japan. Wheels was screaming, was rending his garments in, in yes. anger at the slight delay of like what three weeks? <laughs> yes, there was much gnashing of teeth on Twitter. Ah. Yes. Where I pointed out, yes. you haven't finished three. Yes, I know everyone. I haven't finished three, but I mean, I'm not going to be able to read anything in four. I just want to mess around with it because it's new and shiny and interesting. That's like a thing that you should probably try to curtail. Shh, quiet. But yeah, once that's out, I will stream it so we can all we can all marvel at 
whatever it is. We can marvel at how shiny it is and how much you wish it didn't play like the PS3 version of Nino Kuni. <laughs> well, I don't know if it actually does. It looks sort of like that. And hey, it has. I'm just hoping it doesn't play like and that. And hey, it has four protagonists that or something because two wasn't enough. So we'll see. Many kinds of dream. Level uh, five is a weird company. I think there's, I think there's a Kataro uh, cameo promised. I don't know. I'm, I gotta check this. Kitaro is important. Listen, as long as it has O wheel, I'm all good. You, you've got some important beliefs. <laughs> you made an appearance in something called Yokai Watch Shadow Side, The Return of the Oni King. Don't know what that is. Is that a movie or. It appears. Um, yeah, it's like movie. movie titles. Yeah, yeah, apparently Kitaro cameoed in that in some capacity. I mean, Kitaro. Yeah, Kitaro. Yeah, um. Kind of, sort of. I remember that there was a big thing that they brought a lot of the, like, traditional yokai in. Yeah. All those things that, uh... Okay, yeah, Gegege no Kitaro will make a, a guest appearance in Yokai Watch 4. Nice. Mm. Gotta hang out with Eyeball Dad. <laughs> I don't remember if that's that character's actual name or just the nickname the people I was watching with gave him. No, that's pretty much a... Direct translation of his real name. Okay, that makes sense. There's not a lot else you would call him. Yeah. There's not a lot else you would call him. I mean, he's he's an eyeball and he's dead. Yeah. Mike Wisniewski? Probably less He's just the eyeball. Yeah, he's just just an eyeball with some legs. (laughs) And he is literally Kitaro's father's eyeball. The rest oh. of his father died. Oh. It's normal. Oh. That's fine. That sounds yes, horrifying. Yes, the origins of the series is really weird, and old Daddy Eyeball is from the original Kitaro series, which was more obviously horror. Uh, Akaba Kitaro rather than Gegege no Kitaro. Yep. Are you sending me yeah. a picture? I don't want to actually look at a picture of this thing. It sounds it's, horrifying. It's fine. He's adorable. It's fine. He's adorable. They've done a lot. It's been like 50 years, and every okay. character in Kitaro has been carefully recrafted to not look completely unrecognizable, but not look like a horrible monster anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, he looked cute in the original, too. It's true. It's true. So, I mean, he likes to, he likes to take hot baths in a soup cup. Yeah. That shows up a lot in the openings, I think. Yeah. Yep. Every Kitaro character has had some design work done to try to make them more adorable at various points, but some more than others. Let's end this. Let's end this. All right. I'm right. Uh, questions, things, okay. stuff. Peace out! See you, Space Cowboys.